Welcome to Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. This week we focus on one of the new players in the electric vehicle space. But unlike so many of the EV startups that are bringing all new vehicles to market in the coming years, Polestar has very deep roots in the automotive industry. The brand is jointly owned by Volvo and its parent company Geely and has its headquarters in Gothenburg, Sweden and its production facility in Chengdu, China. Also, the name Polestar has been associated with the Volvo brand for more than a decade in the form of performance upgrades and parts, and the name Polestar Engineered can still be found on the badging of some current model Volvos. But in late 2017, Polestar became a brand all on its own, one specifically associated with electric vehicles. The first production model was the Polestar 1, a low-production, high-performance, electric gasoline hybrid 2 plus 2 boasting 600 horsepower and an all-electric range of 150 kilometers. Next up was the Polestar 2, a mid-size full-electric with a 400... <laughs> Next up was the Polestar 2, a mid-size full-electric with a 400-kilometer range and 400 horsepower that went on sale this year and will be on Canadian roads by the end of the year. The Polestar 3 is a larger SUV that will go into production soon. And finally, as reported on Driving.ca last month, the Polestar Precept has made the jump from concept car to confirmed production car and will represent the halo vehicle for the brand. To tell us more about these vehicles and the company's vision, we're joined by Gregor Hembro, the head of Polestar USA and the man who has been guiding the brand's rollout in North America the past two years. Gregor joined the Volvo Car Group in 2000 and rose to the position of Vice President of Volvo Cars USA before joining Polestar. Welcome, Gregor. Hi, Andrew. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. It's afternoon for you. It's morning for me. So uh, you're in New Jersey. I'm in Vancouver. So uh, through wonderful technology, we can connect. And uh, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So first, before we get on to Polestar and all its wonderful things, um, I'd like to know what is the first all-electric vehicle you drove? The first all-electric vehicle that, I've ever, that I ever drove was actually the Polestar 2. No, oh, I wow. Corrected. I stand corrected. My mistake. I actually had a trip around the parking lot in a Tesla Model S, which is what first hooked me on uh, electric vehicles. And that goes so what was the, three years what was the hook? What was the hook? The, the acceleration, the torque, the silence, the refinement, all those attributes that went around the advent of an EV vehicle. Okay, interesting. Um, and, and not unusual, I think. I think most people on their first experience kind of have similar reactions. Um, so, so talking about Polestar, uh, as I said in the intro, it is uh, uh, the parent company is Geely. And, and what... You know, just curious is that Geely has a number of brands, Volvo, Lotus, um, some domestic automakers in China and Malaysia. So why the decision to establish a standalone electric brand instead of just incorporating EVs into those existing brands? Yeah, I think when you when you start to look at this, it, was, it becomes very clear that Polestar's mantra was to be a performance electric brand from the onset. And the way that we're going to bring products to the marketplace, not only the attributes of the product, but also the way that we're going to follow a different business model than some of the other established brands in the market. It was it was obviously something that was ironclad within the, the executive team that we would have 
I would say a longer road to hoe is if we continued with one of the other brands and tried to con to convert that type of brand and to convert that type of business model into it. Could it have been done uh, with some of the traditional brands that are already in the group portfolio? Of course. Uh, however, I think that when you start witnessing, Andrew, well, I know you've already driven the Polestar 1, and I, I know the Polestar 2 is on your list to drive shortly. You, you, it's, it, it'll be clearly evident that this is far more of a product than other, the other attributes that the other brands would bring forth. So from that, we actually took Polestar, which is in definition the guiding star, and put ourselves into this portfolio of automobile companies to be the leaders in performance, innovation, and design moving forward. You know, it's interesting. The two things that jump out at me at that is is performance and business model. So let's talk about performance first. Um, you're right. I mean, Volvo obviously on the horizon. If not, you know, in the next couple of months, we're going to see the um, the Volvo XC40 Recharge, which is all electric from that company. Um, kind of a similar sized vehicle. I mean, it's more a crossover than the Polestar 2, I guess. But the Polestar 2, as you say, performance is more evident in that vehicle. So so how, how exactly are you kind of differentiating yourselves from perhaps a Volvo all-electric? We're definitely going to see very different customers for both of those products. Um, we are a different brand than Volvo. We are a different company from Volvo. But when I look back to see the, the, the people that be looking at an XC40 versus a Polestar 2, you see the psychographic of that customer wanting two different things. To go back to the Polestar 2, it's, it's a customer that's really going to covet innovation and technology and also the performance that goes along with the, with the Polestar 2. And one of the things that we really rally around with the Polestar 2 is the innovation with regard to the Android embedded technology that will come with the vehicle as well. So such things as that you become very accustomed to whether you use an Apple phone or whether you use a, uh, an Android phone is uh, voice commands and voice activation. And I, I believe what you'll witness after you drive the product, there's been a lot of brands that have taken very good attempts at working on strings of commands and the way that you articulate your voice to get them to work correctly you will see that the Polestar 2 is a product that will actually have this in whether your native accent, your native tone, and it will be conversational type of discussions where you can ask it anything from what the weather is going to be to ask it to take you back to home to where's the closest charging station to even tell me a joke. Anything that you've known to love with on a Google Assistant, that type of simplicity will find itself way to Polestar 2. So, those are one of the things, Andrew, that we speak about with regard to right. innovation and the way it's going to attract the customers. So the second part of that would be the business model. So kind of describe how, um, I mean, I know that you oversee North America, Canada, and the United States. In Canada in, in specifically, I mean, what kind of um, sales footprint or, or service footprint is going to be um, in place for Polestar? Of course, we start off with a digital first model. So we, we will have retail partners specifically in Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver as we speak, of course, as we start to become uh, more established in the Canadian marketplace, that footprint will continue to grow. But just to go back to my first comment, we start with a digital first footprint, and that really allows the customer to learn about the vehicle, 
configure the vehicle, and even consummate the purchase of the vehicle with our retail partner completely online. This goes so far as actually even offering a home delivery of the product, so they don't need to go into a traditional automobile showroom to pick up the vehicle, to do the finance and insurance, or even to learn about the vehicle. Um, that even extends itself into the life cycle of the car, where if there's a time that the car needs to be going in for its regular maintenance or checkup, it's the simplicity of having an app on the phone and booking a service appointment, we will actually have somebody from the Polestar space actually come out and pick up the vehicle, drop off a vehicle for you uh, if you wish, and return the vehicle once it's completed as well. So really trying to bring not only the digital footprint for the business model, but also the convenience first and foremost to the customer. Okay. And that's a business model that you're, you've rolled out globally. We have rolled it out globally. One of the other right. attributes, Andrew, is it's a very small footprint. So we'll be, you'll be finding us not on the traditional automotive row. You'll be finding us in locations that have uh, co-tendencies, if you will, of where people will go to shop and eat and entertain. Uh, so it'll be a very convenient place for you to, if you do want to go and witness the product, touch it, test drive it, talk to somebody about it. Uh, we'll be at those locations where it won't be out of the way for a customer. Uh, and there'll be other things to do for the family and themselves once they get there as well. So as I said in the introduction, you had worked for Volvo for 20 years, uh, had a lot to do with dealers, um, which is more the traditional sense of a dealership. So for you personally, um, how, uh, I'm assuming you've embraced this new idea of a business model. What do you think is the biggest challenge with that kind of new model? Well, it's a hybrid model, so it, it, it continues to have our good retailer partners at the end of it. So they're their obviously their knowledge and their know-how and how to cover it to the customers as well is something that we cherish. What is one of the drawbacks, if there's anything, is, is, is that I think that the customers and our retail partners alike will need to just really understand that it will take about maybe about five to seven days for the car to arrive. So one of the things, being American, I, I think the Canadians are not too dissimilar, but there's this sometimes this instant gratification that I want to walk in the morning, turn in my old lease car, and drive out with a new product by the end of the day. Uh, we will not have inventory at the facilities. We will have inventories at local ports, and that means that the transition time will be about three to five days before the customer will end up with the final product. I think that there's benefits to that as well. The inventory will constantly be fresh. It'll always be updated. It'll always be clean. And uh, it'll be with a low variant count, a low amount of variance of that we'll have. Uh, it'll be the car that the customer wants. It's not going to be the car the customer settles for. I know there are listeners out there, not in those three major cities you mentioned, um, that you know are probably interested in this product. What would you say to them? Somebody, let's say, in Calgary or Winnipeg, I mean, places where you're not going to have uh, um, retail outlets to begin with. Yeah, what I would say to them is two things. Number one is we are ironclad in our conviction to have a pickup and delivery service. Uh, so whether the car is delivered to Winnipeg from, from Vancouver, if you will, uh, and even serviced, we, we clearly recognize that we will grow in our network going forward as well. So 
it, the first time it might be a pickup and delivery from a Vancouver space or Toronto space or a Montreal space to one of the surrounding cities. As we move forward into 2021, into 2022, we know of the customers in those markets. We know the potential in those markets. Obviously, we know where our competition is taking foot as well in their success factors. Uh, we're not naive to that, and we want to make sure that we able, we're able to have points there as we move forward to, uh, to satisfy the customer demand. So we will continue to grow. Right. And I do know that you will have a service center in Victoria on Vancouver Island. So, I mean, as you say, somebody on the island could order a car from Vancouver, get it delivered, but then they wouldn't have to deal with ferries to bring it back to the service center in Vancouver. They'll have someone, something on the island to help them. Exactly the case. Yeah. So, so in the States, um, what kind of footprint? I mean, you've got three outlets or, or presence points of presence in Canada. What about the States? How, how big is that network? In the States, we started, we started really to fish where the fish were. So you, you really don't need to be a very uh, studious person to understand that the West Coast is where the EV has uh, really dominated the marketplace. So we will start with two points in San Francisco uh, that will be up and running this month. Uh, we also have Los Angeles and we have Manhattan. Uh, so as an example, for the rest part of that year, that's where our footprint will be with the same business model that I just spoke about for the Canadian marketplace, pick up and delivery uh, for both sales and for service. And then as we move into next year, Andrew, we've been very clear that there's demand that we understand and we'll start to begin to satisfy in Boston, Washington, D.C., Florida, Austin, Texas, as an example, and then moving forward to uh, Denver, Colorado. Those are all on the horizon as we move into next year. Okay. So looking at the two countries, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, do you see an EV customer in Toronto being similar to an EV customer, let's say, in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, for example? I do. I do. I think that there is a very strong similarities in what these people look for, and also their vision of what sustainability can look like in the future as well. I think okay. that the adopters, I think to a certain degree that they could be opinion leaders within their group. Um, and um, in many respects, uh, brand loyalty is not as high to them as it might be for other people. They understand where the value is, where the best product is, and they're willing to take that opportunity to be first to the market that with all the rewards that come through with those. Being a new brand um, is always a challenge in the best of times launching this year, but given the climate of a pandemic, how, uh, how has your team dealt with that situation? I don't know if we have enough time for that, Andrew, but we also, <laughs> I don't think that uh, we could have picked a, a, a tougher year to cut our teeth on right now. Right. Um, if I look back, it started at the Geneva Motor Show where we were going to unveil the, the Polestar Precept which is, uh, history will show, is one of our forward-facing concept cars, which we now call a commitment car because we we have committed that to bring it to market. But we've had to be very lean, nimble, and zig and zag as we navigated through COVID, as our retail partners have uh, navigated through the pandemic as well. We've had to be patient. We've had to curtail media uh, and put it towards later part of 2020. We've had to delay a few of the space, uh, which is our retail facilities, when they roll out. 
Uh, we've had to delay press drives, and we've had to delay uh, consumer test drives. The good news is uh, we haven't lost our perseverance. We haven't lost the tenacity that goes along with this, and we haven't lost our spirit. Uh, the product has not been delayed. The cars are actually on the water as we speak right now, coming into the East Coast. We are starting press test drives on the East Coast of Canada and consumer test drives this month. And we start migrating westward towards the, uh, the Vancouver market room for uh, the beginning of November for both press drives and for consumer test drives as well. And our space locations, the ones I just mentioned prior in the conversation, start to open up in November as well. So all told, I think in the, the, the grand scheme of it, we're still very happy on how we weathered our way through this. One of the issues um, and frustrations I know with potential EV owners, in particularly in North America, is is getting their hands on one of these vehicles. I won't say Polestar, but just any brand. Um, the the supply always seems almost to uh, not meet demand. Um, how are you guys expecting that to uh, perhaps impact sales or not sales, but just just uh, the profile of the company in North America? Yeah, right now we are about three quarters of the order book, uh, so we still have uh, availability and deliveries that could be scheduled for 2020 if, if a customer elects to move forward with our brand. Um, we've been a bit bullish on production, so I have actually signed up for some incremental cars. Uh, so for that particular situation, I don't foresee that being a traditional problem in 2020. Uh, 2021, the same situation goes as right now is, is that I, I do know that customers are having a balance in their approach versus how quickly can I get the vehicle and how quickly can I get the right vehicle. I want to make sure that matrimony exists within the Polestar network, that we do have a little bit of incremental inventory so we're not dealt with long lead times and making sure, going back to what I said before, we've purposely kept the variant count down so we will have an ability to have a quick turn on customers coming in and saying that I want whatever it might be. So, okay. The situation so, is, uh, I recognize it. I, I hope that yeah. we've, uh, we've set the table correctly for that. Uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the EV space, um, particularly in North America, is Tesla. Is, is that who you... Is that your competition? I mean, who do you think about when you think of Polestar 2's competition? I think that Polestar 2 is an alternative to Tesla 3. Um, I really feel that both of them can live in this market harmoniously, uh, both in Canada and the U.S. Where I see that the EV market is going and the, the ecosystem that goes around it, charging infrastructure starting to rise, the, 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 the hangover of what EVs used to be, Andrew, was there was always a compromise, whether it was about range or whether it was about quirky styling or there wasn't enough room in the car because the battery had to go somewhere. All those things, I believe, right now you could take a look at, and they've really been pushed behind us. So really, when I take a look at the EV segment, I truly believe where it's going in the future, and I mean 2020 and 2021, obviously onwards, there's enough room for both Tesla and for Polestar. I believe that the competition honestly, is going to be internal combustion engines. I believe that there is enough business out in internal combustion engines where I bring an offer 
that somebody that is driving an Audi A4 or a BMW 3 Series or a BMW 4 Series, whatever it might be, we now have an offer in the EV segment that has no compromises, whether it be acceleration of 0 to 100 kilometers an hour in 4.5 seconds, whether it's the range that we talk about, whether it's the fit and finish, whether it's the versatility, whether it's the technology, I think that this is going to be a vehicle where we will start to see, we already are, by the way, people that have been sitting on the periphery of EVs, driving an internal combustion engine, now starting to make their headway into this type of, of, of propulsion system. And we'll be there. Yeah. And we did see actually evidence of that yesterday in a, in a release from Porsche USA. Um, their all-electric Taycan outsold the 911s in the third quarter, which is massive. Um, so the Taycan is the top-selling Porsche non-SUV in America in the third quarter. And as someone I know, um, to my listeners, uh, I, I'm not really speaking out of class for Gregor here. He is a Porsche 911 savant. He knows absolutely every everything about 911s. So uh, that kind of sales figure indicates exactly what you're talking about, Gregor. Yeah, we're hopeful for that. And again, I think that when you look uh, and when, when your listeners look and you really start to witness what this product can be, um, it's not wishful thinking. I think that there's, there's an iron class, ironclad, excuse me, uh, model that's in place and that we have... So I'm going to get you out of here on this last question, which I always conclude with all my guests with, is um, we, we hear a lot about the tipping point of EVs. Um, you know, everybody seems to have a different metric when it comes to a tipping point. In your mind, what is a tipping point when you kind of can wake up one morning and think, you know, the EVs have, I won't say taken over, but they've arrived, they're established yeah, I look at it in terms of market share, um, and you know maybe that's too mathematical. You know, right now when you take a look at the market share, we're in North America, we're running under two percent market share, and I think that if you look at the math of it, we'd be looking at somewhere around five percent market share would really be when we start to say is, is that this is no longer uh, a clan of customers. This is starting to become a trend of customers. So for me, it's it's about not only the sales numbers that go along with it, but it was a little bit about what I talked about before, is, is, is that having customer surprise and delight by not having the compromises and having the comfort that they would have, whether it be from fit and finish technology and uh, overcoming anything that has to do with range anxiety or day-to-day activities. Um, and then top of that, a buying experience that is second to none, one that they would classify with maybe something outside of a traditional car purchase and something more on a, a purchase from a high-end boutique. To me, that is what we bring, and that's, I think, the tipping point of not only is what's bringing EV to the tipping point, but what's bringing car ownership to the tipping point. Well, you've certainly got a front-row seat for that in your position with Polestar, Gregor. Um, just want to thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, very interesting, and I know a lot of my listeners are interested in Polestar, and I think you've answered a lot of questions and probably piqued a lot of curiosity. So uh, can't wait to see these cars rolling around Canada. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure being with you today. 
Great talking with Gregor about yet another newcomer to the electric vehicle segment. As he mentioned during our talk, I have driven the plug-in hybrid Polestar 1. And while not a pure electric, if the 2021 Polestar 2 has just a fraction of the performance and tech DNA of the 1, it will prove a formidable rival to the Tesla 3. I'll be driving one in a few weeks, so be sure to look out for my review on driving.ca. One thing we didn't get to was pricing. In Canada, the Polestar 2 will sell for 69900 That's it for this episode of Plugged In. Thanks to my guest Gregor Hembro, producer extraordinaire Darm McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying ride down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to visit driving.ca. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you can go back and listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1 and 2.